Believe it or not, it is about three months since the coronation of King Charles III. It's, uh, you might be thinking, where on earth has all that time gone? You might be asking, where on earth has the summer gone as well? It's been uh, an interesting few months of weather. And uh, it's a long time ago, and um, different ones of us in the room here kind of approached it with various degrees of uh, seriousness. Some, for some, it was a very solemn occasion, and uh, this is a very serious thing, uh, 70 years or so since the last one, and you might have kind of sat and watched in silence. Some of you kind of got together, had uh, parties, and yes, took it seriously, but also poked fun at some things uh, that were kind of fun. Um, Britons love to do that, okay? We have this kind of strange sense of humour, and often uh, people take to social media uh, in big national events to kind of share the funny things that they've witnessed. So uh, I just want to share a few of these things. The first one was someone who uh, speculated that we were actually playing one giant game of buckaroo, adding things more and more to King Charles until <laughs> the moment that he will suddenly kick off and it all go flying. Someone also noted that they had two spare Camillas just in case of an emergency, uh, which was, a, I, I like that. And then finally, there was a, there was a special uh, national lottery uh, taking place around the coronation weekend. And someone saw this online, which said, uh, the, the, the coronation weekend, it could be you. And they said, I appreciate the optimism, guys, but I'm fairly confident it's going to be Charles. So I, I like that. But all joking aside, it was a really momentous occasion, and um, as we commented at the time, some of the prayers that were prayed were quite remarkable prayers. It was quite a Christian service in uh, many, many ways, and one of the things that King Charles himself prayed was this, God of compassion and mercy, whose son was sent not to be served, but to serve, give grace that I may find in thy service perfect freedom and in that freedom, knowledge of thy truth. That's quite a Christian prayer to pray for a number of reasons, but most notable for me is that this notion of a leader being a servant, a king, a sovereign, being someone who's here to actually serve. And in today's psalm, we see that idea played out in some ways. We, we see it more fully in the person of Jesus who said, I have not come uh, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Um, this, this notion that the greatest one of all, Jesus came to be a servant. But we see it in this psalm, in Psalm 72, where we learn of a mighty and compassionate king. And as we read on in this psalm, as we see it, you think to yourself, surely this cannot, cannot be speaking of a merely human king. So just a little bit of background, this was a prayer uh, of or by Solomon. That's what we see in uh, Psalm 72. And Solomon was the son of King David. We've actually sung a song that mentioned King David this morning. A great king of Israel who uh, defeated Goliath in battle and actually led Israel into many famous uh, victories. And his son Solomon was the one who took the throne uh, after him. And this is a prayer likely prayed by Solomon at his own coronation. So when Solomon took the throne, he likely prayed Psalm 72. So let's read that now. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure 
as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound until the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him with gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. And he will rescue them from oppression and violence. For precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May corn abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. And then all nations will be blessed through him. And they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. Okay, so we see here a prayer of Solomon. And it says at the end that this concludes, this concludes a whole section of the book of Psalms, the end of Psalm 72. We see here a psalm, a, a, a prayer of Solomon praying for his leadership, it seems. But then he starts to pray into some things that you think, hang on a minute, that can't be about him. And we're going to come on to that in a minute. But, but first I want to just pull out here something about praying for our leaders. Okay, so some of you might have kind of through gritted teeth prayed some prayers for King Charles uh, at his coronation. Some disappointed by his personal failings over the years might think, yeah, okay, I'm going to pray for him, but I don't really want to. The Bible commands us to pray for our leaders. You see it in 1 Timothy and chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is writing to his protege, uh, Timothy, and he says this, I urge, I urge, that's quite strong, isn't it? First of all, that petitions prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we see this is something this is modeled for us, prayer for a leader, but it's emphasized, it's re-emphasized in the New Testament that we are to pray for our leaders. Now, we live in an age of quite significant polarity, don't we, where um, there's political parties who kind of like have a hatred for the other political party, where the rhetoric is sometimes very, very strong. And sometimes those that align politically with a party can start to look at the other side and say, well, I, they, they would say that because they're like this. And they're kind of other people. You know, you can understand what I'm saying? It can kind of be seen as like, well, I'm in the right, they're in the wrong. They're kind of somehow subhuman because they're clearly in the wrong political party. That can happen. And Christians can get caught up in this sometimes and can look at leaders in a certain way and think, well, I'm not going to pray for them because they're, they're evil, they're wrong. 
But actually, we see here a, a, a command, really, for us to pray for those who are in leadership. It's hard, isn't it, when people are imperfect? That's one reason that makes it hard. Another is that they feel so distant. It feels like they're so far off. Not many of us here will know an MP or a minister or a, or a, a member of the royal family, and they feel distant. So it kind of feels like, well, I don't really want to pray for them because I don't really know anything about them. The idea is this, guys, they're not distant to God. He knows them. He knows them intimately. And his word commands us to pray for them. It's hard to pray. Sometimes leaders are against the Christian faith. And some of you are from nations where that is the, the reality. But Paul, you need to understand this. When he's writing to Timothy, he's in prison. In, under kind of Roman authority. And he's saying, let's pray prayers of thanksgiving and intercession and petition for those who are in government. And so the Emperor Nero, who was the one who was in charge of the Roman Empire at that time, Empire at that time, was evil. And he had Christians tortured and killed. And Paul is saying, let's thank God for them and pray for them. It's quite radical, isn't it? But we need to understand it's hard to pray for our leaders. It's harder to pray for them if we don't see them as somehow loved by God. If, if we don't really believe that God can save them. But it says, we just read here, that God desires that none should be lost, but actually all should come to the knowledge of the truth. It's hard to pray for them if we, if we kind of don't recognize that actually we too are flawed. And if we were in a position of power, we too would be flawed. We too would bring disappointment to some people and at times make wrong decisions. But we, we have to take a step back and say, God, help me in this. So this is really a very small part of what we're going to unpack this morning. But I just want to encourage us and urge us, like Paul does, to pray for those who are in leadership. Even if you think, actually, I identify with the opposition party. I'd like to see them in power. That's fine. You've still got to pray for your leaders. It's not, not a comment here to say Christians shouldn't be involved in politics or have political views. No, no, no. By all means. But we're to pray for those who rule over us, that it might be peaceful in the land that the gospel might be able to be spread, because that seems to be linked here in what Paul is saying. Every ruler is going to let us down. It's not often we, we, we touch upon praying for our leaders, but I just want to encourage you, next time you watch the news, just afterwards, just take some moments to pray for, for leaders locally and nationally. Take a moment to do that. You'll find that your heart changes, as well as trusting that God's going to change some things. You'll find that your heart changes also. But let's consider now who this mighty king that is described in this psalm is actually pointing us to. You might have been reading that thinking, okay, yeah, I get the first bit, Solomon. I get you're praying for your rule and your reign here. But then it starts to go way out there. Like This, this sounds really grand to be praying into these things. This doesn't sound like any earth, merely earthly king could fulfill the things that you're praying into here. Well, the Bible isn't like most books that we read. Sometimes you're reading it and you're thinking, yeah, that's speaking about the, the, the present at that time. And then suddenly it's starting to seemingly speak prophetically, speak into the future. And the, the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, quotes the book of Psalms more than any other book in the Old Testament. That should be instructive for us because often the Psalms point us forward to Jesus. 
They're really beautiful songs and uh, poems and prayers that help us in our moment now, even as we heard from Aimee Day in his video, and as we heard from Tim last week, all of these psalms, some are celebratory in tone, some are despairing, and where are you, God? All these things are helpful to us at different times, but many of them point us forward to Jesus. They point us forward to the fulfillment of these great promises. And Psalm 72 to me, seems to be very clearly a prophetic or a messianic psalm that is pointing towards something that is, at that time, yet to be fulfilled, but has now been fulfilled in Jesus. You just read verse 5. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. That's no earthly king is going to, no merely human king is going to uh, outlast the sun. Or may he rule from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth. That's, that's a very grand prayer to pray. It becomes clear that he's now shifted to praying for one that was to come. Because by this point, there was already many promises of a Messiah, a special anointed one that was going to come and bring God's blessing to the world. And you can read more in, in 2 Samuel, in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter 7. This one was to come and be on David's throne. They were gonna, it was gonna, he was going to be a king in David's lineage, David's bloodline. And this is who Solomon starts to pray for. He prays uh, for himself and then he starts to pray for this one who is to come. And he starts speaking of people from Tarshish bringing their kind of tribute, bringing their gifts to him. For the Jewish people, Tarshish was like the furthest off place they could think of. Okay, Brits often say, from here to Timbuktu. That's kind of the the, the phrase that we've used historically. This is what's going on here. So people from the ends of the earth, the furthest away part you can think of, will bring their tribute to him. He will be known and worshipped and revered everywhere. And he prays that the name of this king would endure forever. There's many names that we can think of that um, kind of mark history. The empires of great, the emperors of great empires and great poets and great pop stars and these names that seem so big, those names will fade and they will one day be forgotten. But the name of this king will endure forever. And it goes on to say that all the nations will be blessed through him. If you're familiar with the Bible, then that might start to make you think, okay, Abraham had this promise. God came to this man who was once called Abram, later became known as Abraham, and he said this to him in Genesis chapter 12, I will make you into a great nation. This was a man who had no kids at the time. And I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth, all peoples on earth, will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through this one that is to come. So it's clear to me that Solomon is starting to pray about the one who is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham, the fulfillment of this promise of a king who will sit on David's throne. Solomon is beginning to pray prayers about Jesus Because it's through Jesus now that the whole world, that all peoples can be blessed. Can have the blessing of knowing God and being able to worship him fully. The prophecy has known fulfillment in Jesus. 
And it was wonderful just a couple of weeks ago when we had International Sunday here to see that before our eyes, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus and the blessing that Jesus brings to the world has gone to many, many, many nations. And we calculate we've got over, I don't know entirely exactly, over 35 nations in this church. And we see that this, this is being fulfilled week by week, month by month, as more and more nations are reached with the good news of Jesus. 1,600 languages now that the Bible has been translated into. There's still many more to go. But Jesus is the fulfillment here of the promise to Abraham that through, through Abraham's uh, descendant, the whole world would come to be blessed. That's what's going on here in this psalm. And we see that in, in Jesus' life, don't we? Uh, he, he, he comes, the, the always existing Son of God comes to earth, born as a baby, and not long after his birth, in his, in his very early infant years, who comes from afar? People from the east, bringing their tribute to him. People from unknown nations come and they bring their tribute to him. They recognize him to be the king of kings. And as he grows older, he starts to reach, yes, primarily the Jewish people. That's who he first came to. But he starts to show us that actually he's got a heart for all nations. There's a, a Roman centurion whose slave gets healed. There's a Syrian woman whose daughter gets healed. Jesus goes to a place called the Decapolis, which was a group of 10 uh, mostly non-Jewish or Gentile cities, and he heals dozens and dozens of people. He's showing God's heart is not just for this one nation, but actually his heart is for the whole world. And as he is uh, at the age of about 33, he's, he's arrested and He's tortured and he's put through a, a, mock a mockery of a trial and hangs on the cross and dies. And he rises on the third day. What does he say to his disciples? He says, all authority, this is a king, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And surely I am with you always until the end of the age. This is the king risen from the grave, having conquered death itself. And his heart, what's in his heart? All the nations. He's a king who wants to know, have all the nations come in to his feast. There's a beautiful parable that Jesus teaches in, in Luke chapter 14. We won't have time to read it now. But he speaks of a master who invites, he invites all the people he knows to come, come, and come to my feast. And people make excuses. And they start to say, well, I've, got, I've just got these cows and I've got to check them all out. I've just got this house, I've got to do it up. I've just got married, I've got to go on honeymoon, so I can't come to your feast. And, and the master is angered. And so he says, right, we'll go out into all of the streets, call upon the lame and the sick and the poor, bring them into the banquet. Why? Because he wants his house to be full. He wants his house to be full. There's a, there's a, there's a desire here for all to come and feast at the king's banquet. But there's something here that in that parable and then in Psalm 72, I think it brings it to light that there's a heart that God has for those who are afflicted and needy and poor. 
We see in this, uh, in this psalm, the afflicted are mentioned three times. The needy mentioned four times. The weak are mentioned. The poor are mentioned. The, oppress, the oppressed are mentioned twice. There's this, there's this mighty king spoken of who will rule from sea to sea, who people will come from nations afar to bring tribute to. There's this mighty king who is far greater than any other king that's ever been on this, on this earth. And yet, there's this real compassion. Do you find that striking when you read Psalm 72? There's this compassion that he has. There's a special place in his heart. Compassion literally means to be pained within at the plight of someone else, to be moved, to, be, to, to, to kind of know something within that you can't control. He has compassion it says here, he has pity upon them. He has compassion for the poor, for the needy and for the oppressed. And we see that in the life of Jesus, the image of the invisible God, who perfectly depicts to us what God is like. We see him, don't we? Pursuing those who are weak and needy and afflicted. God's compassion, it burns for the whole world. Desires that none should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of the truth. But, friends, you need to understand this. It particularly burns for those who are oppressed and in need. And so when we pass someone in, on our way to work or someone in the high street who's in need or afflicted, or poor, weak, sometimes we are legitimately busy. Sometimes we've got to be somewhere. We've got to honor an appointment. Sometimes we are fearful and we just think, well, what could happen if I try and step in here? Sometimes we are too self-important and we think, well, you know, someone else has to do this. I've got other things to do. Sometimes we just don't know how to help. We don't know what to do. But listen, it is never God's response to them that he does not think about them or does not have a moment in his heart for them. He... he is moved. He's moved. Sometimes we feel helpless. That's another thing, isn't it? Sometimes we just feel resourceless. I don't know what to do. Or even if I know what to do, I can't do it. There's not the resources. But God is not indifferent to their plight. He has great compassion on those who are in need. And he longs for them to know him. That's ultimate riches, really. We want to bless those and Bring care to those that are in need. But the ultimate riches is to know him. Now, as we come to uh, land, I've invited my friends Mark and Rachel Crawley to come and join me. Um, many of you will know Mark and Rachel, uh, who have been part of this church for over 30 years, maybe, maybe probably 40 years, probably. Um, and uh, in, the, in that time, they've served this church in many, many different ways and... Uh, and shown such love to people in many, many different ways as well. Uh, more recently, Mark, Mark has served as an elder uh, with me and other elders here for the last eight years. And um, together, they really look after a lot of our ministries, uh, whereby we are serving those in need in our town. And um, yeah, I really mean it when I say this. I have learned a lot from you guys, and I've still got lots more to learn from you guys. And I know that we have as a church. So I wanted to hear from them uh, as we come into land on this. Um, because I think we need to 
glean something of their heart. So let's give Mark and Rachel a big uh, round of applause as they come up. <laughs> Welcome. Look at, what these lovely, look at all these lovely people. It's very scary, isn't it? Yeah. It's great. Let me just make sure I've got my questions. Here we go. So I want to just ask these guys a few questions just to try tease out from them um, some of the things that we've already been unpacking uh, today. So thank you so much, guys, for joining us. That's good. Um, we've heard a little bit in Psalm 72 of the afflicted, those in need, etc. What might that look like in Ipswich in 2023? Uh, who are those people? Great. Well, thanks. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for your introduction and... Uh, what you said about us, just one thing, um, we're not old enough to have been in the church 40 years. We're definitely, <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't go with that one. Um, so, yeah, I've been thinking about this. And, you know, the word afflicted um, literally means um, someone who has pain, mm. someone who has trouble, uh, someone who has experienced harm. And, you know, there's a sense in which we're, we're all afflicted. You know, we all need a saviour. We all need Jesus. Um, but as Tom so clearly said, there's no doubt that in Scripture, it's clear that God has a particular heart mm. for those whose afflictions are great, mm. whose afflictions sometimes are more than they can bear. Uh, and this, uh, as, as Tom said, is, is, is evident throughout Scripture but just to remind ourselves that of Jesus' very first words in his public ministry, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Yeah. He has sent me to proclaim release for the captives. Mm. He's, he sent me to provide recovery for those who are blind. He's, he, and he has sent me to release those who are oppressed. And then he says, this is the year of the Lord's favour. This is when we can do this. And then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He is the one who brings relief to the afflicted. Mm. But, you know, to answer the question, Tom, um, to get to that, <laughs> um, you know, who, who, is, who are the afflicted in our, in our culture? Well, it's basically the same as the ones Jesus is talking about, the ones who are in captive to great difficulty. Mm. The ones who have great poverty in their lives of different kinds. The ones whose sight needs to be opened up because they're bound up in all kinds of difficulty and challenge in their life. Sometimes very, very overwhelming challenge. Mm. So, you know, just to pick out a few examples, um, people who have suffered abuse people who have not known love as they've grown up, people who have life has sent them the worst kinds of situation mm. where, they're, where they're isolated, where their issues are so problematic, so challenging that they can't mm. function well in our society. Uh, the homeless, the, those who have deprivation, uh, those who are excluded and marginalised. And those are the ones that God has a particular heart for, as Tom says. And those are the ones that we should have a particular heart for, yeah. too. And Rachel's just going to take over at that point. Yes. 
So um, we don't actually <coughs> have to go far to see these people. Um, they might be among us, and um, we see them all around us. We can walk out of this building and not go very far and see oh. these needs in right. front of us. And it can be absolutely overwhelming. We can't help everybody, but we can help the one who is in front of us. We can yeah. help the one who crosses oh. our path, oh. the one we know up the road who is lonely. Um, and I know some people in the church go out to look for the people who need prayer. They go and search them out, and that, that's fantastic. Luke and his team go out, don't they? Mm, going out today. People going out today. Brilliant, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And so we've, we've heard about this king who's got this compassion. I've seen it in your lives with individuals, and as we've done, we've seen different ministries uh, kind of... Uh, uh, birthed here. What? What has? What has? How have you grown to be compassionate? What? How can we grow in compassion? What? What's? What's the secret <laughs> to that? If there is one. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I think there is one. I think you know there are many people in the church who show compassion in all kinds of ways, and you know, in one sense, we're no different to anyone else. But I think we kind of a keen are keen to allow. God's heart for this to mm. enter into our lives. Mm. You know, we're keen to um, resonate with him on this. You know, we're keen to, uh, uh, to have a heart for the things that God has a heart for. Mm. Um, and uh, we, you know, you know, we, we want ourselves, and we, and we need to pray for this church, we want ourselves to be moved by the things that move God. Mm. We really do. Um, we, we want to be willing to be disturbed in our spirit, mm. to have a, a, an emotional response, you know, not to walk by on the other side. You know, good Samaritan, you know, the Levite and the priest walk by on the other side. Mm. It's the Samaritan, the one who shouldn't have gone to the person because they were enemies, as the one who showed compassion. And that should be our heart. And that's what we, as a couple, want to grow in and we want to encourage you to grow into. Mm. So as a child, I can remember um, watching news, news and programs about the extreme poverty in, in other continents and oh. other countries and being deeply disturbed by it and upset and thinking it's, it's also unfair mm. it's, um, that some mothers cannot feed their children and children are dying. Oh. And, uh, are desperate, desperate, desperate. Um, and that, that seems far away, and we can turn a blind eye to it and pretend it's not happening, but it is happening. And as we're sitting here, it's happening mm. in other countries. People are desperate. But we need to bring it to our own context, mm. don't we? And people are desperate here as well. Mm. And uh, we need to be looking out for them. Mm. Yeah. And just to say... This is a bit of a challenge to us. You know, it's quite easy to play at compassion. Mm. It's quite easy to think you have a compassion and actually you're not, it's not really very challenging. Mm. You know, and true compassion comes from the Holy Spirit. True compassion comes from knowing the heart of God mm. and seeking the heart of God. And we need to get before him, folks. Mm. And we need to ask him, God, give me more of this compassion. Yeah. Yeah, however, however much of compassion we've got, it isn't enough. Mm. It isn't enough. 
the more compassion we have, the more we'll actually do something about it. Mm. And you don't forget the Holy Spirit weeps over some of this stuff. Mm. He weeps. Mm. Do we weep? Mm. Not enough, guys. Mm. Mm. So we're going to ask God for his help in a few minutes. But practically, what, what, can, we, what can we do? Um, I mean, we can talk a little as well about what we are doing as a church. But what mm. practically can we do as individuals uh, or as families to to meet needs of people that mm. are struggling. Mm. Is it me? Well, I'll tell my story first. Okay. <laughs> so for me, I, I was really um, moved with compassion for somebody we met when we were delivering meals in, in lockdown, which seems a long, long time ago now. And I prayed um, for this person, and I prayed that if I could be more involved in their lives, that that would open up. So I have visited and befriended and um, Sue Anstey and I go and help with practical things for this person um, who is very needy. And over the recent weeks, she's um, begun to tell me her life story, which is horrific <laughs> and very disturbing. And um, she, she actually said to me, I've never told anybody these, these things about my life. And what freedom, you know, she says she already feels more free because she's been able to talk about things that are mm. so difficult. Mm. So what an opportunity just to share Jesus' love with, yeah. with somebody. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, thanks, Rach. Yeah, yeah there, are, there are many people in the church who <clears throat> show compassion through things like work, you know, working the NHS and the care agencies for, for voluntary organisations and so on. There's many people in the church who volunteer uh, and show compassion in, in, in that context. But we can all um, show compassion by simply responding to the needs we see around us. Mm -hmm. We don't have to go far to look for them. Um, you know, the, uh, the homeless guy that you pass uh, walking along the street, how about stopping for a chat? I know people do this, you know, yeah. uh, and, 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 you know, it's, gr it's great. Uh, stop for a chat, buy them a meal. Don't, don't give them money. <laughs> buy them a meal. But have some time for them. I used to uh, walk home from work every day and see this homeless guy just down on the docks there, and, I, and I, I, almost every day I'd sort of have a chat. And he came to church a couple of times. Now, sadly, I don't think he's got saved. But uh, just because I had the time for him, he respected the genuineness of my relationship, if you like. Mm. You know. Um, so, uh, so another example might be um, the older person down your street. You know, there's so many isolated older people. In our, in our town. I was speaking to one of the health service leaders the other day, and they said the single biggest problem we have, not just in Ipswich, it, uh, around the, the country, is isolation. Mm. You don't have to be old to be isolated, actually. You can be any age. Isolation. So there's people down your street who probably would love to have a chat with you, mm. would love to build a relationship with you, mm. and you could do them so much good. Or there might be uh, like a single mum down, down the street, you know, struggling to bring up kids on her own, or a single dad. Uh, you could go and say, you know, I've, I've, I've seen you having a little bit of, you know, difficulty with this, can I help you? You know, we can do that sort of thing. Mm, wonderful. That's really, really 
that just the thing of isolation. I think we need to hear that and think, God, is there, just leave me to who you want me to be led to here because I think that's a big deal. After the service, just to say, there's going to be a table just out immediately out the back here and to the left of some uh, folks that are involved in our various ministries where we're uh, serving the town in different ways. You want to just kind of go and chat with them and find out more information. really encourage you to do that. But Mark, can you just give us a sweeping kind of uh, what is going on in the life of the church here that's serving people in these ways? And then I'll just love to hand over to you guys to lead us, really. Okay, thanks, Tom. Yeah. Well, we have uh, the ministries which we call Hope, Hope Work Ministries, and the sort of subtitle there is Loving Our Town. And we've got a number of them. So um, uh, Tom's wife, Sarah, runs a parent and toddler group on a Tuesday, which is fantastic. I understand it's really thriving. Yeah. Lots of people coming to that who are non-Christians, bumping into Christians at the meeting. We've got our advice service, which is run by Trevor Stafford, and he'll be one of the ones out there. Uh, who he, he would love to hear from you if you want to get more involved, not just in our ministries, but in other ways. You know, if you want to say, can I talk to someone about how I can grow in this? Then go and, go and see Trevor and John Reynolds at the back, uh, in, uh, just out there afterwards. Then we have our conversational English classes, which are led by, by, who are led by, by Nicola, uh, and are doing so well. They come really big, lots of people coming along, lots of questions being asked about faith as well as about mm. how to improve the English language. Uh, we've got our community lounge, which Rachel has referred to, um, you know, 70 meals we're doing each week. Um, some fantastic opportunities to talk and pray with people. Uh, we've got um, two CAP ministries, that's Christians Against Poverty, We've, uh, we, we, uh, there are six churches working together to, to run a, what's called a debt centre, which is uh, a service to people who have significant debt problems and need professional help. And Peter Watson, who's one of our church members here, uh, leads that on behalf of those churches. And we also run Christians Against Poverty Life Skills courses, which uh, John Reynolds, who's also going to be at the back, uh, runs on our behalf. And again, John's got extraordinary stories of how uh, running that group has enabled relations to be built, questions to be asked and answered about um, Jesus and what we believe as Christians. Wonderful. So there's lots so, going on, yeah. which, is, which is amazing. And uh, I wonder if we can now respond, friends. There's lots, we've heard lots, oh. <laughs> lots of things that uh, we could do. Um, but we need God's help. So, yeah. Mark and Rachel, why don't you, why don't you lead us? Should we, should we get people to stand? So, I, I'm just going to read these verses from that psalm, Psalm 72. Again, verses 12 to 14. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence. For precious is their blood in his sight. So they cry out, let us cry out for them. And I yeah. think we will do that. Yeah, I think, I just feel we, we should do that. Do you, do you feel a bit stirred by this? Yeah? Do you feel a bit stirred by this? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I know many of us do. So shall we cry out to God? Mm. It's just saying, cry out to God for the afflicted. Yeah, cry out to God that we have more of his heart. 
you know, cry out to God that we see these six things as he, as he sees them, he, with weeping and with compassion. You know, we need more of that. So let's do it. Shall we raise our voices? You know, as I said, whatever compassion we think we've got, we need more. So if you feel, if you feel particularly that you'd like to grow in this, Stick with me, guys, if you'd like to grow in this. Could I ask you to stick your hand up? Come on. If you want to grow in this, stick your hand up. If you want to grow in this, stick your hand up. And then let's ask God. Let's ask God. Lord God, help me. Help me to grow with your compassion. Lord, in, 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 in sticking your hand up, you're saying, I'm in for this. I'm in for this. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mean some action. It's going to mean some action. It might move us out of our comfort zone. you up for that. If you're up for that, let's, you, you yourself pray out, God, I'm up for this. I'm happy for you to take me out of my comfort zone. Let me grow in this, Lord. Let me have more of your heart more of your heart Lord God if that's you just receive that let God give that to you Father I pray give this to us as a church give this to us as a church let us be known for a church has so much compassion in this town in Jesus name Jesus name you know I had the privilege of praying for some people in the community lounge on Thursday and they were so grateful they were so grateful. You know, it really touched me. Um, one guy had a, a had a heart condition, and I just, you know, I said, "Can I pray?" And we prayed. And I don't know what God's done, but He was so grateful. You know, if we go to people, they will be grateful. Very, very rarely do you come across someone who says, "Don't pray for me." Very rarely. And there's a couple of guys there who've uh, been. Uh, they've had. Um, jobs and accommodation but they, you know there's trouble has come affliction has come and they're sort of you know trying to get back and they were just so grateful thank you so much for praying for me and one of them said I do believe I do believe and uh, let's trust that God's going to do extraordinary things yeah amen we want to impact this town with the love of Jesus with the compassion of Jesus with the grace of Jesus that many We'll find transformation and grace and love to change and become all that Jesus has for them. So finally, I just want to pray for power. You know, as I prayed for these people on Thursday, I felt with all my heart, God, show us your power. Show us your power. Show us your power. Could we reach our hands out to God and say, God, show us your power. Lord God, you know, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we can be his hands and his feet and we have the Holy Spirit and we can touch lives. But real transformation comes from God, by the Holy Spirit. 